This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And please carry on with your delicious lunch um, as we talk to you about a book this week. Um, So if who could we just like we can't see all of you, but could you raise your hand if you have listened to a podcast before? All right, a lot of podcast fans. Great. So you kind of know what you're in for. How many of you have listened to our podcast before? (laughs) More than I thought. That's Fewer great. hands. Okay. <laughs> um, so our show, we we kind of bill it as a comedy book podcast. We are not librarians. You probably know more about most of the stories we cover than we do. Um, but we are here to share a story with you and then kind of make some jokes about it. Uh, and hopefully you find them funny. We will <laughs> certainly find them funny. Um, Andrew, anything else about the show that folks should know? Um, we are at OverduePodcast.com if you want to find out more. But, or if uh, you don't like what we're doing right now and you want to like listen to a different episode while we're speaking, you mm-hmm. can just fire up that on your phone, I suppose. <laughs> um, Andrew, so the way that this works, one of us reads a story um, or a book or a novel and then that over the never, course... That we've never read before. Yes. And That's then over the, the course of an episode, talks to it, talks about it to the other host. Um, and so we're going to do a little background on the author of this, of this week's, of the, today's story. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the story itself. So, Andrew, you read the book for this live show. I did, in fact. What did you read? I read a fairy tale called The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Maybe you've heard of it. Any fans of The Little Mermaid out there? Woo! All right, a lot of... Great. I, I set up like a hand-raising thing and then nobody made any noise. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so, I've never read this story. Mm-hmm. You had never read this story. I'd never read it. My little sister loved the movie when we were kids. And so, I watched it a lot of times. Great. But I've never read the book before. I, wa- I re-watched the movie last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, very specific that it's a Wednesday, apparently, in my brain. Um, and so, I will be able to, to recall a few things as necessary. But this is... It's a pretty different story. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like many fairy tales, it is much grimmer than the Disney movie that that came out of it. So uh, to talk a little bit about Hans Christian Andersen first, um, he was a Danish author. He was born in 1805, died in 1875, um, and he wrote plays, novels, poems, and travelogues. But what he's best known for is the over 3,000 fairy tales that he wrote. And just statistically, if you write that many fairy tales, some of them are bound to become classics, I think. Yeah, it's monkeys at typewriters and whatnot. <laughs> um, he, so you said he was born in 1805. That puts uh-huh. him about uh, seven years before the first Grimm collection, which was published in 1812, and then 10 years before the second one. So he's coming into this. He started really getting hot and heavy into fairy tales um, <laughs> in his, by his 30s. But at that point, Grimm's had kind of been established, and we're also coming off like a century or two of this like retelling of folk tales by aristocratic women in salons, mm-hmm. and kind of this remix game 
where they are taking folklore and, and running it through their own lens. But what's interesting about Anderson is that he was mostly writing his own stuff. Yeah, he, ha- he was inspired by other stories and other myths, but yeah, it was, it was mostly original works that yes. uh, nobody had done before. So his uh, first volume of fairy tales, which is titled Fairy Tales Told for Children, first collection, um, was published across three volumes between 1835 and 1837, and among others, it included Thumbelina, The Princess and the Pea, The Emperor's New Clothes, and The Little Mermaid. Um, It was not very well reviewed at the time because books for children were supposed to be educational and not entertaining. That's just changed now. Much has changed in 200 years. But but yeah, he he eventually found more success and published fairy tales from 1838 all the way up to 1872, a few years before he died. Yeah. Is there anything about his life that we should make sure we cover? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. So... Uh, as we said, he was born in 1805. His parents were pretty poor. Um, his father died when he was 11. I think his mother ended up remarrying. Yes. Um, but he did talk a lot. And he has kind of, in his own lifetime, tried to uh, take control of his like autobiography and, and kind of him rising up through the, through the rankings of you know, having trouble in school. He is, uh, we think he may have suffered or, or dealt with dyslexia. Or, or had another sort of learning difficulty, which mm-hmm. caused him to have a lot of, a lot of hard times in school. People mm-hmm. gave him a hard time. Yeah. Um, and it may have led to his style of writing as well, which is pretty, sim- you know, work- having a hard time developing those skills in school and then changing mm-hmm. it um, to accommodate. Um, he did uh, get into school as a teenager because the director of the Royal Theater secured a grant from the King of Denmark. <laughs> To get him into school, which is pretty dope, How honestly. How many do they give out every year, the King's scholarships? They probably just gave out the one and then stopped, <laughs> uh, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his first stories that we didn't find until 2012, um, he actually wrote while he was still in school. It was called The Tallow Candle. Um, it's about a candle that felt unappreciated. Big mood. Big <laughs> mood candle. Um, and that kind of plays into a lot of the themes that crop up in Anderson's work of these characters who just don't feel like they fit in the ugly duckling and whatnot. Um, he just didn't, I think that's all kind of drawing on, on personal experience. I made a couple notes of some other stories I found interesting. If you want to hear them, Andrew. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Um, so the first is the steadfast tin soldier, mm-hmm. which some of you may remember from the hit film Fantasia 2000. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it's about a one legged tin soldier like, think like the Nutcracker, um, who's the only one of his brothers who is different, okay, Hans Christian Andersen. Um, he is in love with a ballerina because he thinks that she only has one leg, but she's just doing ballet. Like, she's like a doll of a ballerina. <laughs> Whom among, um, us <laughs> among us has not gone to a ballet and been confused. <laughs> and then uh, there's a troll or a goblin or something that's dressed as a jack-in-the-box that is jealous of this tin soldier and so knocks him out a window. And then he goes on like some Toy Story adventures. Um, and finally, when he comes home, his kid, instead of being happy to have him back, tosses him in the fire. Wow. As like punishment for being gone or something. Then you don't, you still, you still don't have a toy after that. That but, seems like a, but a miscalculation. Melted, but he melted into the shape of a heart, Andrew. That's convenient. Yeah. It seems unlikely. Um, there's, another one, there's another one called The Swine Herd, um, which is about a prince who disguises himself as a dirty swineherd and pranks a materialistic princess 
by demanding kisses in return for gifts, like a magic pot and a magic rattle, um, because she doesn't want his like esoteric gifts, like a rose that makes you feel happy, mm-hmm. or a nightingale that can sing whatever song you want. God, I would love a rose that would make me feel happy. A nightingale that could sing any song you want is just Spotify, so I have that already. Um, and his second, you know, for the rattle, he wants 100 kisses. And on the 86th kiss <laughs> in the pigsty, uh, she gets caught kissing a dirty swine herd. Her father kicks her out. He reveals himself as a prince. And she's like, oh, great. Can we be together? And he's like, no, you're too materialistic. <laughs> no. End of story. Oh, God. Cool. The, okay. the morals in these stories are very... There's another one about um, called The Elfin Hill, which is about some goblins choosing an elf king's daughter for a bride. I picked this one because it draws on a... A Danish superstition, excuse me, Andrew. A Danish superstition called the Grave Horse. Okay. Which is this horse that would go around your town at night and would, like, wander around the houses of someone who is about to die. It comes from a superstition that under every Danish church, a horse was buried alive. Whoa. Why? Do they, like, grow from horses? I don't. Maybe it's, like, to keep other demons away? Okay. I'm not sure. Good I don't know what's going, up in, going on up in Denmark. Um, any other stories? No, those it? are the okay. ones that I pulled. Are there anything you want to talk um, about? Just like a quick personal note about him. So a lot of his stories have to do with feeling estranged and um, just not a part of the world that you're in. And on a personal note, he, um, according to his own journals, was celibate throughout much of his life, but in his correspondence, he pined for and pursued both women and men. So he, he's commonly considered today to be bisexual, which is something that I, even people today, I think, have trouble like like being visible. So, yes, that's true. Yeah, um, and it was a, to bring he had that an up. interesting relationship to Denmark about it because it was a very private thing. We know about this because of his diaries and his letters that have become increasingly published, but. Uh, in one letter to a friend, he wrote, I wish my eyes may never again see the home which can only see my shortcomings. The Danes can be evil, cold, satanic, a people well-suited to those damp, moldy green islands. <laughs> it's everybody who's ever moved out of their parents' house. Yeah, it's just every Springsteen song, I think, right? Um, so that's, that's interesting because he's become this national hero for Danish writing, um, and to the story is always more complicated than that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Ba-ba-ba-da, Craig, I'm not getting married, but I bet some people are. Yeah. And, and they, they need, need help. <laughs> they need help. Um, so let's tell them about one of our sponsors this week, Zola. It's the wedding company that will do anything for love. They are reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. They have helped over 500,000 couples on Zola, and they are taking the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites and your dream wedding registry, uh, affordable save-the-dates and invitations, and easy-to-use planning tools. So you can use their uh, templates for wedding website designs. You can add photos. You can tell stories about how you met your partner. Um, You can put FAQ sections so people know whether or not it's cool to bring kids uh, which a lot of people stress about how to put that on their invitation. Just put it on your mm-hmm. website. Just do it. Yeah. Um, and then you build your dream registry uh, and link it right into your website. Um, so they have like 500 brands um, from Cuisinart to Airbnb, um, as well as like set up to do gift cards and stuff like that. Um, and 
they also have a completion discount. So 20% off of the remaining gifts on your registry uh, starting right after your big day. So to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash overdue. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash overdue. Andrew, if you had access to Zola when you were getting married, what would excite you the most? Boy, just having one place to go for everything, I think, would be the best part. Yeah, not having to keep that separate spreadsheet of who's coming or not. So again, it's Zola.com slash overdue, Z-O-L-A dot com slash overdue. Craig, I just listened to you do that ad. I did And I've got to say, the experience of listening to audio is pretty good. Yeah, I would agree. If you want to listen more, uh, you should listen to some audiobooks. Listening to audiobooks motivates us, inspires us, and even brings us closer together. And if you want to listen to audiobooks, there's no better place to listen than Audible, because now Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible Originals, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. If you are listening to our episode about The Little Mermaid, go get some audiobooks about uh, fairy tales from Hans Christian Andersen and the whole gang. Uh, they also have Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Check it out. Good, uh, good, good audiobooks that you should go check out. Every month, Audible members get one credit good for any audiobook they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection that they can't get anywhere else. They also get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. If you didn't like your audiobook, go and exchange it. No questions asked. So start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash overdue or text the code overdue to 500-500. Again, start a 30-day trial and get your first audiobook for free. Go to audible.com slash overdue or text overdue to 500-500. So should we talk about the the story, the little Speaking mermaid? Speaking of stories that are more complicated than uh, the version that you know. Yes. Where do you want to start? On we the can start at the beginning, I guess. Okay. Why don't you tell me a story, and then after you tell it to me, we will uh, talk about how it's been adapted and stuff like that. Sure. So if you know The Little Mermaid primarily from the Disney film, which I assume that you do, you're familiar with the tale of a little mermaid named Ariel who is in love with the surface world and specifically with a very pretty prince boy. Yes. And uh, she goes to Ursula, a big octopus witch, and trades her voice for the opportunity to have human legs and make the prince fall in love with her. Yeah. And then at the end, they work it out. Yeah, at the end, okay, quick tangent. <laughs> at the end of the movie, she you know, turns back into a mermaid. Ursula turns into a Godzilla monster, uh-huh. and the prince stabs her with a boat, <laughs> and then she dies. And all of her magic is dispelled. Uh-huh. And then Ariel, you know, tells her dad that she loves this human, and he's like, "I've had trouble." I don't with- get it, but I accept you. But I will use my magic to make you human, and then you can live as a part of their world for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's pretty wild that uh-huh. King Triton's okay with that. But so, how is it different? Okay, so in the in the story, um, under the sea, 
lives the Sea King, who's a widower. And King Triton, I guess we never really hear about his. Yeah, there's no mom in the picture, which, yeah. which sucks because in the movie, King Triton just like solves problems by pointing his trident at it and blowing stuff up. So, <laughs> would that we could all solve our problems <laughs> with a magic trident? Um, he, so the Sea King, his old mom, and his six daughters all live at the bottom of the sea. Um, the youngest of the six is the Little Mermaid. She's not named in this book. Okay, um, Nancy. I, we're not going to call her Nancy. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so in this world, when mermaids turn 15, they can go up to the surface. Kind of like a, yeah, like a coming out Like party, a rumspringer like... <laughs> for mermaids. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. So the little mermaid watches as her five older sisters, year by year, go up to the surface and come back with tales of the incredible things that they saw. Sunsets also, the, also and boats. come back with their own tales. Yes, because they're mermaids. They're mermaids. Okay. Uh-huh. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and they all eventually kind of lo- lose their attraction to the surface world. Like, it's neat up there, but they don't want to go up there all the time. It's not a great place yeah, all the time. The, the Little Mermaid is, uh, is different. She's uh, very into the surface. So she, I'm going to just read a quote from the book explaining her deal. Um, she was a strange child, quiet and thoughtful, and while her sisters would be delighted with the wonderful things that they obtained from the wrecks of vessels, she cared for nothing but her pretty red flowers, like the sun, excepting a beautiful marble statue. It was the representation of a handsome boy carved out of pure white stone which had fallen to the bottom of the sea from a wreck. So, like in the movie, she does have a statue yeah. of a boy that is kind of a symbol of her fascination with the surface world. I think the thing for me that was surprising watching the movie and then doing a little prep for the show was how much was in the movie. Maybe not in a direct plot way, but mm-hmm. just like, oh, here's... They give Prince Eric a statue of himself for his birthday on a boat. <laughs> My it birthday seems... is later this week. <laughs> okay. If you were... I'll get Carvin. I'll get Carvin. <laughs> so she is, in fact... does She kn- She doesn't know this human. It's just, oh, here's a stone man that I love. It's just a, hands- a statue of a handsome okay. human man. Yes. Okay. Who represents her desire to be part of their world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I forgot to read something earlier about how deep the sea was. So deep, indeed, that no cable could fathom it. Many church steeples piled one upon another would not reach from the ground beneath to the surface of the water above. So this was written back in a time where like a church steeple would just be a common unit of measurement. <laughs> you just didn't have miles or yeah. kilometers. You just had church steeples. I'm going to start measuring things uh, by height by just banks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's 10 banks tall. 10 <laughs> banks below 10 me. chase bank branches tall. Yes. Um, so the time finally comes for the Little Mermaid to go up to the surface. Uh-huh. So she does. She goes up there. Yes. Um, and she sees a boat on which people are having what looks like a pretty cool party. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes and she just kind of looks at them and sees them having fun. And then they, she sees a very handsome man who turns out to be a prince. And the boat sails off into a storm. The storm breaks the ship. And it looks like everybody's going to die. Um, so far, I'm just like, yep, I know that part of the story. I'm um, here. <laughs> There's another, there's a strange passage here on, on the mermaids' voices, because that's, that's going to be a thing later. Sure, sure. They had more beautiful voices than any human being could have, and before the approach of a storm, and when they expected a ship would be lost, they swam before the vessel and sang sweetly of the delights to be found in the depths of the sea, and begging the sailors not to fear if they sank to the bottom. But the sailors could not understand the song. They took it for the howling of the storm. And these things were never to be beautiful for them, for if the ship sank, the men were drowned, and their dead bodies alone 
reached the palace of the sea king. So those are two very different perspectives, right? The that's, mermaids are like, hey, come in, it's great. That's like a men are from boats, women are from the ocean like <laughs> scenario. Like they can't cross that communication divide. <laughs> We're, oh, it's so beautiful down here. No, I'm going to die down there. Mm-hmm. Do they have gills, the mermaids? I don't, they don't really talk. They, they really just have human tops and fish tails. Yeah. That's the only <laughs> thing to know about them. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. sure. That's weird. Are they trying to kill the men? No, 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 no. They, they aren't. They really do think that under the sea is great and that the men will have a good time. But the seaweed is always greener. Yeah, that's that is definitely true. Um, so she sees the prince go underwater because his ship sinks. She swims over. She saves him. Okay. And she brings up, up up on the shore and she's like, "Wow, this beautiful handsome prince. He will never know who I am, but I'm really glad that I saved him." Cool. Yeah. So, you just do good things for people. Yeah. That's so just she, what you do. Mm-hmm. So she goes back under the sea, and every once in a while she gets up and she goes and checks by the little like chapel that she left the prince at to see if he's still there, see if she can catch a glimpse of him. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Okay. And she gets sad about it. She's very sad. Um, she doesn't tend her little undersea garden anymore. Her yearning for the surface is just all-consuming. So it's this is not, and it's this is not common. Like other, her other sisters did not go up, save a guy, find him boring, and then come back. No. <laughs> okay. This is not normal for mermaids. Great. Okay. Sure. Um, and so she's she's asking her old grandmother, like, is there? Can I go up to the surface? Is there anything I can do? Her grandmother tells her. So here's we we get a little bit about how mermaids work. So oh, mermaids please. can live. For, I have a lot of questions. Mermaids can live for up to three hundred years. Up to good. But. They don't have souls. Darn it. So uh, she says, when we cease to exist here, we only become the foam on the surface of the water, and we have not even a grave down here of those we love. We have not immortal souls. We shall never live again. But like the green seaweed, when once it has been cut off, we can never flourish more. Does that mean every time a wave crashes on me, it's dead mermaids? Yeah, it's dead mermaids. (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they, do they not have, like, a museum to mermaids that used to exist? Like, do they just forget mermaids after they I, die? I don't, I'm not sure. This feels like they a cultural They don't talk about issue. a mermaid museum. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she's, like, freaked out by that. She doesn't yeah, want that to happen. But, but so there is a way for a mermaid to get an immortal soul. Okay. You want to know what it is? Um, is it complicated? Not really, no. Okay, great. Well, it's complicated for the mermaid. So what you got to do is you got to make a human fall in love with you. And marry you, because it's very important that God recognize your union. Yes, that's true. And so part of his soul can slip into you. He still gets to keep his soul. Part of his soul can slip into you. Into you, the mermaid. Uh huh. And then you both have souls, and you're good after that. But you just have part of his soul. It's fine. It all works out. In the 19th century, things were different. Okay, that's fine. So how is she going to do this? She so, has a man in mind, which is She good. does, the prince. So what okay. she needs to do, she knows she needs to get up there. She needs to make him fall in love with her. And she get the soul and live forever. Okay. So what she does, she goes and finds the sea witch, who also doesn't have a name. She's just the sea witch. That, okay, no one down here has names. The sea witch lives in a very remote part of the sea. Uh, in the midst of this spot stood a house built with the bones of shipwrecked human beings. Whoa! There sat the sea witch, allowing a toad to eat from her mouth, just as people sometimes feed a canary with a piece of sugar. Does that actually happen? <laughs> Has anyone ever fed their canary by shoving sugar in their mouth and going, ah? <laughs> she called the ugly water snakes her little chickens and allowed them to crawl all over her bosom. 
So this all tracks with the Disney movie. <laughs> Except for the part where she lives in a house made out of human bones. That's true. Which is pretty creepy. Is there anything analogous to... So the, the creepiest part of the movie for me are those like shrunken merfolk polyp things uh-huh. that are just these like little sock puppet people that are like stuck to the ground. Right. Is there anything like... Is she stealing souls... Is the no, sea witch the, doing the anything? The sea witch just kind of seems like she wants to yank everybody's chain. Okay. <laughs> but More of a Loki li- figure. Yeah, she sure. lives in a very um, creepy part of the ocean, so there's a lot of seaweed that can grab onto you. So there, as Ariel, not Ariel, as the little mermaid swims to the sea witch's house, she sees the bones of all kinds of other creatures, including the bones of a mermaid Uh-oh. who just didn't make it. What does that look like? Just a mermaid skeleton. Fish skeleton on the bottom, per- person skeleton on the top. Ah! <sighs> That's more terrifying than I could have imagined. <laughs> this is like so. This is a bad part of town. It's where a, the yeah, sea it's witch a bad lives. part of town. You don't go over there. Um, but the the sea witch tells her, if you give me your voice, then I will give you legs. Now there is going to be a catch. When you get the legs, it's going to feel like a sword is cutting through your body, and then you're going to dance really great. But it's going to hurt really bad. It's going to feel like you're walking on knives. And, like, your feet should be bleeding ah, for the entire time has, that you are a person. I mean, that's sometimes when my leg's asleep, that's what it feels like when I stand up. <laughs> I, it's I much identify. worse than that. So, wait, but they have, have they set up in the story that she has a particularly good voice? Yeah, it's mentioned. Yeah. Okay. So they have, the, they have the thing about the ver- mermaid voices that I read yeah, before, yeah. and then when she gets to the Sea Witch's house, it's made clear, oh, her voice is particularly great. It's so. even better. Okay. Um, and then the other catch is, if the prince marries somebody else, then the day after their wedding, you turn into sea foam and you're just dead forever. It's not a thing where you turn back into a mermaid and you just get to be a sad mermaid. You just you, you die. And That's because you so don't have a soul, then you're dead forever. That's like if you try to get a, like a house, and if they like reject your bank loan, they destroy your your house that you're in right now. <laughs> like you're trying to improve your situation, but if you fail, they also take away what you have. Not only do you not get your home loan, but you don't live in your apartment anymore. <laughs> oh my God, the bank of sea witches sucks. Uh-huh. So, uh, the, and, and, and the witch tells the little mermaid that she will have to uh, capture the prince's heart with her beautiful form, your graceful walk, and your expressive eyes. Surely with these, you can enchain a man's heart. So the story was written by a dude, checks out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's a very good, there's another very good dude part later where the <laughs> prince and the mermaid are on a boat and he's telling her about how great the sea is. <laughs> <laughs> then he told her of cal- storm and of calm, of strange fishes in the deep beneath them, and of what the divers had seen there. And she smiled at his descriptions, for she knew better than anyone what wonders were at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Classic prince-splaining. <laughs> she literally can't talk back to him. That sucks so much. <laughs> so the sea witch takes her tongue, like cuts it out. Oh. It's not even a thing where you get, like your voice is a glowing ball that gets uh, stored in the seashell or whatever uh, it is. Yeah, that's the song. So could she like attempt to make noise and it would just be rough? 
I, I don't it's know. Unaddressed. I don't think it's not addressed. Okay. And okay. also, I, she can't write. Apparently, that it feels like the greatest weakness in the Little Mermaid story is well, if you can't talk, I guess there's just no way to communicate with anybody, huh? Yeah, that's really frustrating. <laughs> and it's weird because in the movie, um, I don't think that they have books. There are books in her like underwater trinket cave, uh-huh. um, but no one has ever really like. They do have a magical contract that she signs to give her voice away. Right. Um, Sebastian is a successful symphony composer, <laughs> and he can write music that she was supposed to sing. Uh-huh. But, yeah, there's no, like, what if I could just write out to you, hey, I'm a mermaid, but I have legs today. Would you like to marry me? Yes or no. Check one. Yes or no. I like you. <laughs> do you like me? <laughs> Please check. Um, so it becomes clear pretty quickly that things are not going great for the mermaid. Um, as the days passed, she loved the prince more fondly, and he loved her as he would love a little child, but it never came into his head to make her his wife. Um, if I were forced to choose a bride, I would rather choose you, my dumb foundling, with those expressive eyes, he says at one point. But it's obvious that in part because she can't talk, I think. That's a bonus kind for of, him. He kind of infantilizes her a little bit and does not see her as a viable like love object okay, yeah i guess that's a phrase that we yeah. can coin yeah viable love object. i was in my wedding vows i don't know what <laughs> you're doing so uh, is one of the sticking points in the film is that she saved his life uh-huh. and he doesn't believe that this girl is her because he can't hear her magic voice is there any? There's no nod to the, the to the prince recognizing her now that she's been transformed in this. It sounds yeah, so like. Yeah. So he says that he had a dream. Okay. And that he like barely remembers, and she vaguely reminds him of of somebody. But who he's really in love with is a woman who he met at the little chapel that she dropped him off at. Mm. Um, who he credits with saving her. Okay. Okay. And she turns out to be the princess of some other kingdom, which is just works out great for him. Is she taking credit for this rescue that she didn't do? No, she All probably right. nursed him back to health. Great. She probably sure, didn't have sure. nothing to do with it. Um, but so, they're going to get married, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and then they do. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Hello, let's get married. So they're, okay, after this happens, all of the mermaid sisters come up out of the sea, and all their hair's been cut off, and they said, hey, little mermaid, we traded all of our hair for this knife, and if you kill the prince and let his blood drip on you, you'll become a mermaid again, and you can come back. That's awful and super rad at the same time. <laughs> That's super metal. I was kind of hoping she would do it. Yeah. I found myself hoping what, she would do it. What off-brand O. Henry story is this where you cut off all your hair and then sell it for a knife? <laughs> oh, I, I cut off all my... Oh, no, I, I traded my like chopping block for a, a knife sheath. <laughs> what is that? Weird gift of the Magi. Yes. Gift of the mermaid, sort of. <laughs> um... So she's in, is she into it? She can't bring herself to do it. She loves okay. the prince too much. Is she, she loves at so their much. wedding? Yeah. She like lifts the bride's train. What she's in the ceremony. era like rom-com did we miss where they could have used this setup? <laughs> there's a missed Catherine Heigl I feel Heigl like there's a, definitely a somewhere. Sandra Bullock yes. film that could have been adapted from this. Um, so she's at the wedding. She has the knife, but she doesn't use it. Yes. Okay. Then what? Then so she's, she's just going to become seafoam again. Okay, so what, what <laughs> ends up happening? We're on track for a very bad ending to this story. Yes. She casts one more lingering, half-fainting glance at the prince and then threw herself from the ship into the sea and thought her body was dissolving into foam. Uh, but then what happens? 
she turns into some kind of like angel person. Um, a daughter of the sky, daughter of the air, is what she turns into. Why? Um, Okay, it says, she says here, a mermaid has not an immortal soul, nor can she obtain one unless she wins the love of a human being. On the power of another hangs her eternal destiny, but the daughters of the air, although they do not possess an immortal soul, can, by their good deeds, procure one for themselves. So, basically, the little mermaid has been so good and so pure, and she wanted a soul so bad, and she did so many good deeds, like not killing the prince. (laughs) Good job. And listening to him while he told her about the sea. (laughs) That's a good deed, yes. Just humoring him is probably a good deed. Yeah. Um, She gets a chance to become a daughter of the heir and eventually, through more good deeds, get her own soul. Who made this call? I don't know. I don't know who has the authority to decide who will be a daughter of the heir. The same god that was going to recognize their land ocean wedding, I suppose. Yes. And Um, and is she like... She's not still. Is she still like treated as a as a coherent character at this point? She has transformed from a Little Mermaid into a spirit, uh-huh. or is she just like one with the wind and the sky now? So she's she in, in the all the colors of in the, wind. the image in the illustration in the book. She definitely does just kind of look like an angel with a, like a light wrap on. <laughs> it's cold out there in the wind and little weird butterfly wings. <laughs> hey, um, those are fashionable. <laughs> Um, so after we have striven for 300 years to all the good in our power, we receive an immortal soul and take part in the happiness of mankind. You, poor little mermaid, have tried with your whole heart to do as we are doing. You have suffered and endured and raised yourself to the spirit world by your good deeds. And now by striving for 300 years in the same way, you may obtain an immortal soul. So that's a lot of time. But I guess on the scale of immortality, not it's that like long. a minute, I guess. Yeah. You're going to see at least like five generations of humans mm-hmm. through that you know so there there but there is a way to game the system Uh-oh. which is this is how the book ends <laughs> which is bizarre unseen we can enter the houses of men where there are children and for every day on which we find a good child who is the joy of his parents and deserves their love our time of probation is shortened the child does not know when we fly through the room that we smile with joy at his good conduct conduct for we can count one year less of our 300 years. But when we see a naughty or a wicked child, we shed tears of sorrow. For every tear, a day is added to our time of trial. <laughs> so if you just go into a house and find a good kid, good job. You get a year off your sentence. If you go into your house and find a bad kid, sorry. <laughs> like, more time now. Okay, so when I was in middle school, I was at my friend's house. Uh-huh. And his younger brother and cousin were playing in the basement. Is this the friend who told you that his Super Mario Brothers didn't have a two-player mode? No, well, no, but that that kid definitely made a mermaid stay as a daughter of the air for an extra year. And so did these kids who we, we came downstairs. We were supposed to be babysitting them, but we were 12 and didn't care. And we went downstairs, and one of them had taken a popsicle and was drawing on the ceiling, like standing on the back of a couch and mm-hmm. just drawing on the ceiling with a popsicle. That kid is... You know, making sure this mermaid's still in limbo, I guess. <laughs> that stinks. What a terrible, like, way to, to end a book and, like, just reach your hand out of the book and grab a child by the collar and be like, if you're behave, bad, don't hurt those mermaids. They want to be free and have souls. Every time you're bad, a mermaid has to stay an angel for longer. <laughs> um, so there's some contention over this ending because sure. some scholars and readers believe it to be a giant cop-out. 
Yes. Because the entire tone and vibe of the story up to this point points to like a bad ending where yes. the Little Mermaid doesn't get what she wants and becomes seafoam and actions have consequences. Sorry, kids. Yeah. That's the lesson. But uh, so P.L. Travers, the author of Mary Poppins, sure. um, she said of this, the final message is more frightening than any other presented in the tale. The story descends into Victorian moral tales written for children to scare them into good behavior. And she describes this system as blackmail, <laughs> which is what it is, I P. think. P.L. Travers represent. <laughs> but I, I found Anderson's defense of it sort of interesting, too. He says... Um, I have not allowed the mermaid's acquiring of an immortal soul to depend upon an alien creature upon the love of a human being. I'm sure that's wrong. It would depend rather much on chance, wouldn't it? I won't accept that sort of thing in this world. I have permitted my mermaid to follow a more natural, more divine path. So making it so that the mermaid has like agency over her own fate, even though this, it doesn't make sense within the system that you yourself set up at the beginning of the book, yeah, where mermaids die and become seafoam and don't yes. have souls. Oh, Anderson, what are you doing, I bud? Don't know. I don't know, man. Is it, okay. So what else do you, because that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, sure. Do we encounter any other sea animals in the story? Not really. There is a point where her grandmother calls birds fish because she knows that the Little Mermaid would not know what a bird is. <laughs> sure. So they're just sky fishes, which is an interesting way to think about birds, I think. Yeah. We're just land mermaids, if you really think about it. <laughs> um, so one of the things that struck me watching the film is it does that thing. And so we've done a couple live shows where we talk about books with anthropomorphized animals. And one of the things that's always fun about that is, like, where does the author draw the line of consciousness? Right. Or, like, who, does, who gets to speak in this kingdom? So, like, in the movie, King Triton has, like, dolphins as steeds to, like, carry him around. Uh -huh. We never see a dolphin talk. Uh -huh. We see a crab talk. Uh -huh. We see a flounder talk. <laughs> dolphins say nothing. There's a part where they go into a scary dead boat and a shark chases them. Mm -hmm. Sharks don't talk. Sharks just bite. Maybe they didn't try to talk to the shark. Well, he's too scary. Eels talk, though. Right, those Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, those creepy eels named Flotsam and Jetsam. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. It's, it's certainly like narrative expedience to like, oh, well, this colorful character gets to talk. This like bright red crab gets to talk. Do they eat plants or do they eat other fish under the sea? It's not clear. Um, at one point, so I did make a list of a bunch of things that King Triton says um, that are pretty dope. And at one point, he derisively refers to humans as fish eaters. So it is my understanding that everyone under the ocean has just eaten kelp or... No, that's a living thing. Uh, well, that's a... What is kelp? Kelp is a plant. Is a plant. Okay, they eat kelp all the time. Thank you. Um, other cool things that King Triton says, uh, he's getting mad at Ariel, and he says, as long as you live under my ocean... <laughs> You're going to do what I say. But what is King Triton's jurisdiction? Because <laughs> the whole ocean is pretty big. Yeah, he is apparently in charge of the whole ocean. Um, at one point, he's getting mad at Ariel, and he says, I consider myself a reasonable merman, but I just can't take this any longer. <laughs> um, and he's, yeah, he just breaks stuff. She's, like, got that uh, statue, and rather than talk to her about why she's in love with a human, he just blows it up. Mm -hmm. He's this kind of like sad single dad. I really feel for him. <laughs> he doesn't know how to relate to his teenage his daughter. Yeah. Um, 
The movie is is interesting because it's um it's the start of a run of films in the '90s. That's sure. kind of the a resurgence of animation at Disney, but um, the story treatment that they that they did the ad- the adaptation of Anderson's original tale goes back to the '30s. So like huh. after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out. They had intended to do a movie that was just a run of adaptations of Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, and it never ended up happening for reasons I could not figure well, out. Well, Alyssa Milano hadn't been born yet, so they didn't know who to model Ariel after. Right, it's exactly. probably the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Well, that, yeah. Right. <laughs> Margaret has interrupted our podcast. Uh, <laughs> Shout-outs to Margaret. But that's kind of... Do you want to talk about mermaids real quick? I mean, what do, really... you, do you have mermaid facts? Yeah, I have some sure. other mermaid yeah. facts. Tell me about them. Um, so... I'll let you know if they are supported or contradicted by things in the book at okay. any point. Whether or not Hans Christian Andersen knew about it, we have mermaid-related myths going back to like ancient Babylonia. There's a god, E, who was like a precursor to Poseidon, mm-hmm. so like your, your uh, early King Triton. He was a merman, though, so he doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the earliest mermaids we have is Atagardus? Atagardus? A Syrian goddess, whose name Bad. I don't know how to pronounce, who dove into a lake to become a fish because she was sad for, I think, having killed her boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, but only part of her changed, and she became a That's mermaid. sort of the mermaid could have killed the prince and become I half know. a fish. Like, I it would have worked out. Um, Pliny the Elder wrote about uh, boy. sea nymphs. Um, that are basically mermaids, but they're scale- they're scaly all over, mm-hmm. even though even on their human parts, sure. they're scaly. Yeah, I think I've seen like adaptations of mermaids like that. That uh, including I think in Harry Potter, the mermaids are much creepier. Yes, and that's scary true. all over. Um, we get some more mermaid myths in the 1400s. We get we get in the age of discovery and colonization. Uh, we start getting folks going out to sea. And in their diaries, like, saying that they saw mermaids, mm-hmm. um, including um, noted murderer Christopher Columbus, um, <laughs> who wrote in one of his diaries, On the previous day, when the admiral went to the Rio del Oro, he said he quite distinctly saw three mermaids, which rose well out of the sea, but they are not so beautiful as they are said to be, for their faces <laughs> had some masculine traits. You tell me the mermaid is a butterfly. The Columbus stinks. What a cool thing to write in your diary. I think probably he just like couldn't get with the mermaid, and so he's like, "Oh yeah, she didn't look that good anyway." Yeah. I don't. I didn't want to get with the mermaid. Totally tracks with this prince from this story. Um, Do you know that most of our we think that mermaids are actually kind of based on dugongs? Okay, which are like Pacific uh, Ocean manatees. I know what a dugong is. I play Pokemon. Yeah, great. Moving on. Um, I found some mermaid facts from uh, youareamermaid.com, which is one of the UK's... I guess it's a lifestyle site. <laughs> it's, a, it's one of the... Uh, that's the saltsirens.com. Youareamermaid.com is a leading UK retailer of mermaid tales, um, which I'll talk about in a second. Sure. Um, some of their facts include that mermaids have four powers, immortality, seeing the future, telepathy, and hypnosis... <laughs> There are four types of mermaids. Normal. Right. Irish shedding mermaids. They're from the working group. Um, They can shed their tail and walk. There are shape-shifting mermaids. Mm -hmm. And there are menfolk, which I I think is like... Mermen. Merman, Mm -hmm. right? That joke. That old chestnut. 
Good. Um, and then I also went to How to Be a Mermaid from the saltsirens.com. And step one, you have to learn how to go free diving. Okay. Like scuba diving. You could go scuba diving, but free diving is better because mm-hmm. then you can be like, you don't need any apparatus. Right. Great. Step two, make a monotail, mm-hmm. um, which is like a shoe and flipper thing that you put on your feet, and then you just attach a big pant leg to it. <laughs> so you have a, a mer tail. Step three, practice. <laughs> practice makes perfect. Yeah, practice your dolphin Put in kick. the 10,000 hours. Yes. And then step four, this is a literal quote, become an ambassador for the ocean. Mm-hmm. Just talk up the ocean wherever you go. Which, yeah, which means participate in ocean cleanups, wear reef-safe sunscreen, don't use plastics, and don't touch sea life. I think that's, those are just good rules to live by. And All right. Step five is be a mermaid. <laughs> Great. Good. Okay. Well, uh, that's a little mermaid and a lot of related mermaid facts. Yes. That is our podcast. Thank you for coming out, everyone. We have a couple thank yous. Uh, we want to thank Vicky. Uh, we want to thank Megan Bishop. We want to thank the Crown Plaza here for having us. Uh, big ups to them. Uh, we want to thank the New England Library Association, the Rhode Island Library Association, and Mark, our sound guy. Mark, shout out to Mark if you see him around. Thanks, everybody. Hi, <laughs> right, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast and enjoy the rest of the conference. We'll see you around. Try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.